Good morning. Anyone looking at the lectionary calendar before coming to church this morning should be forgiven for doing so with a bit of a sigh. It's okay, I did too. Even in churches which favor a more spontaneous approach to preaching and teaching the scripture, Matthew's Beatitudes are often seen as a bit, of a, as a bit tedious and a chore to dig into. It's easy to imagine that we got all there is to get from them in Sunday school in the fourth or fifth grade. Be nice to each other, seek peaceful solutions, give to charity. This is usually the takeaway from the fifth chapter of Matthew's Gospel and with good reason, because it is usually what we are taught by those who know. My grandmother used to say, the meek shall inherit the earth when someone got upset or angry. What she meant was, don't make waves, don't cause trouble, be quiet and don't get upset, and, uh, and God will love you and you'll go to heaven. Seems easy enough. To be fair, this is the way most people go through life, especially as Christians. Just don't make problems, and everything will be better in the great hereafter. So there's really not much that's bad to be said about this particular reading of Matthew, except for one small, crucial criticism. Reading the Beatitudes as an admonition to go along to get along doesn't go far enough by half. It isn't just superficial, it completely misses the point, in my opinion. At the Trinity Forum on Religion in 2016, the Right Reverend N.T. Wright issued a powerful reminder about the nature of the Gospels, and it's as relevant to this morning's passion, passage from Matthew as it is to Mark, Luke, or even our friend John. We need to go back and think about what that word gospel means. You see, the four Gospels aren't just biograph biographies of Jesus, nor are they simply calls to action, though there are certainly plentiful elements of both in these grace-filled and transformative pages. In the original Greek of the New Testament, the word is evangelion and translates quite literally to good news. The translation points us to the road along which Jesus is guiding the four disciples who are gathered to hear what has long been known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is giving them the good news, but what exactly does that mean? Well, certainly the good part is pretty self-explanatory, but what is this news? If we think about a nightly local or national news broadcast, we find a pretty good example, I think. Something is happening in our communities or our country, and the talking heads on television are going to tell us all about it. But what could this possibly have to do with Jesus and these four disciples as they gather to strategize for this new mission and the birth of the early Christian church. In the language of the New Testament, and particularly the Gospels, Jesus isn't telling the disciples, be good and do good things and you'll go to heaven where everything will be sweetness and light. On the contrary, something quite different is happening here. Jesus is giving them, as it were, marching orders for a revolutionary new kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God. He hints at it often, but here in Matthew, and particularly in our gospel reading this morning, he lays everything on the line for them, and as a result, for us. Jesus, you see, is staging a coup here, and the opposing army he's attempting to overthrow is no less than that of the Roman Empire, 
unquestionably one of the most powerful the world has ever known. He's telling them, look, I know the Romans seem unbeatable. They're rich and powerful and ultimately, in his case, of course, deadly. But when Jesus tells the disciples, blessed be the poor in spirit, what he is saying in the Aramaic dialect of Hebrew he spoke is that the people who have God's attention, those who really wield the authority to do God's will in his earthly kingdom, which is to say the earthly kingdom of that time and ours, are the humble. That phrase, poor in spirit, biblically means people who understand that money, power, and even crushing military might aren't the tools needed or even desired to live into the kingdom of God on earth. In Matthew, Jesus is talking for what amounts to the length of two chapters about subverting the dominant paradigm. He's talking about an overthrow of the powers that be. He is talking, as I said before, about revolution. He's talking in biblical terms about an apocalypse. But don't panic. That just means the unveiling of a new order. As John the Revelator says, a new heaven and a new earth, because veiled as it is in ignorance, greed, and even hatred, the old order is based in sin. It has missed the mark. Proponents of that old order base their beliefs and their actions in greed and anger, violence and vengeance. If we think about it in modern language, the motivation of the old way becomes abundantly clear. We can't feed the homeless. That would decrease dividends to investors. We can't say all are welcome. That would anger those who vote for us. We can't welcome the unwed mother to the pews on Sunday mornings because that might upset those who give the most to the institutional church. We can't welcome our LGBT siblings, certainly, when our numbers may be so full of those who wish to show them the door. The world of the Roman Empire, no less than our own, had an intense focus on further disenfranchising those already on the margins of society. And it's exactly this mindset to which Jesus is speaking. Not only can we welcome and visit and nurture and feed those on the margins, it is imperative that we do so. Those on the edges of what we think of as the good life are the ones who Jesus would draw closest to him. The frightened, the hungry, the lonely, and the scared. Jesus not only tells us to not overlook them, but to look at them more closely. In the sermon I gave standing right here several weeks ago, I quoted St. Teresa of Avila, who reminded us that Jesus has no hands, no feet but ours in this earthly world. The Holy Spirit gives us God's will, but it is up to us to grasp that particular reality and carry it out. Our duty as modern-day disciples and servants of the risen Christ could not be any more clear if we were standing on top of it. In his book, Matthew on the Margins, Warren Carter offers a brilliant summary of the goal of the Beatitudes. While this formula of blessed be the would have been familiar to first-century Jewish listeners to whom Jesus was speaking, that doesn't mean that it necessarily rings the same in our 21st-century ears. Again, Carter writes that the Beatitudes describe not personal qualities but oppressive situations of distress or bad fortune, which are honored or esteemed 
by God because his reign reverses them. He continues to say that this reversal is underway during Jesus' earthly ministry, but it is not yet complete. The Beatitudes address social, political, and religious circumstances which stand in stark defiance of the will of God. These conditions are the disease and the life and teachings of Christ are the cure. And not in some far distant eon, but in the here and now. People are sick and suffering and in pain here and now, not in heaven. But that doesn't make this present time and place any less important to God. I always like to sort of wrap up my few minutes in the pulpit with a nice shiny bow. Something that we can all take home with us as we go back through those church doors headed the other direction and out into the world to live the lives that God in his grace and wisdom has given us. When we read all the violence and arrogance and greed of that long-ago Roman Empire, it can be tempting to comfort ourselves by thinking, well, we sure are glad that as a human race we've grown out of that kind of thing. But have we? We still live in a world where, by and large, greed and grasping are the order of the day. We live in a nation and a world where money and profit and control are valued above all else. Our communities are shattered by anger and the violence that attends it. Our brothers and sisters still live in the streets and alleyways without the thinnest blanket to cover them, and those whose job it is to lead us out of this crisis tell us there's nothing to be done. It's too expensive. The suffering is too great. Just press on. Things happen. Nothing we can do. And so it is that in the Beatitudes, whether from Luke on the plain or Matthew on the mount, we find instructions directly from Christ which are as clear as they can be. Do, he says. Help. Comfort. Love. Transform. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.